You're listening to Living with Louie. Welcome back to this edition of Living with Louie. And um, very honored to have Jackie returning with us. And Jacqueline's going to continue where we left off talking about uh, the importance of research. So welcome back, Jacqueline. Thanks, Larry. We're going to continue with our deep dive into posterior cortical atrophy. And one of the ways that you can manage as a patient is to be very proactive and do your own research. Um, the, the one way that you're going to get diagnosed is to get yourself to a CT scan. And if you listen to my earlier episodes, that's uh, more difficult than one would imagine because all of these early symptoms are just way outside of the box. And does it appear to be dementia because you don't seem like a typical dementia patient because you have your memory and you have your cognition and everything is visual, spatial, and related to depth perception. And that seems to be a problem with getting a diagnosis, but you've got to really be insistent on getting to a CT scan. I happened to have a strange situation during which I did have a CT scan. If you listen to my first episode, you know that when I started to have the symptoms, I felt like I was in the early stages of typical dementia, like my mother and my grandmother had experienced. As it turns out, no, that wasn't the case, but I decided given my situation that I wanted to do a one-year bucket list trip uh, before my brain turned to mush, as I love to say. So a year and a half ago, I headed off to Europe to do my bucket list trip. I broke my foot on the first day. I ended up in the hospital in the next week. The doctor thought I had a brain infection, uh, which turned out to be actually pneumonia. But during the course of that hospital stay, I was agitated and the neurologist gave me an antipsychotic drug, which had the absolute opposite effect. It sent me into a huge hallucinogenic episode. And then, of course, he didn't know why it did that to me. Um, this was a precursor to my Lewy body diagnosis. So as bad as that situation was, it helped me to get the underlying Lewy body diagnosis uh, months later. But then, because the doctor really didn't know what was wrong with me, he sent me to a full body CT, which revealed uh, not only the pneumonia, but the dementia. And he was very happy to send me off to the pulmonary unit where the pulmonologist came in with my report and said to me, has anyone ever told you that you have dementia? And I said, oh, yes, I already know that. I'm on this bucket list trip because I'm in the early stages of dementia. My family had it. And over the course of that day, he kept coming in and just having pretty lengthy conversation with me. And at one point he said, I, I just can't understand that this woman in front of me doesn't match the dementia diagnosis. And I said, I, I don't know what to tell you, but I definitely feel this oncoming dimension. That's why I'm on this trip. And I, I tell that part of the story because this is so typical that even with a diagnosis in front of him in black and white, he, because he couldn't see 
the typical dementia, the memory or the cognitive impairment, he didn't think any further about, well, how is this dementia different? Because the neurologist and the brain scan show this woman has not just dementia, but she's got pretty severe dementia at this point. And because it was in a foreign language, in a foreign language, I did not read the report until a couple of months later um, when I just happened to think, you know, let me, let me um, translate that report. It was in Czech. And I translated the report and there was the significant uh, atrophy in my parietal lobe and also less significant, but in, in another lobe. And I just didn't even know what to think. And of course, I started to do some research as we spoke of earlier. And, you know, the more information that came about, there it was. Those were all my symptoms. And of course, there's no memory or cognition failure in the early stages of this seven stage disease. So it's so important, even with these odd symptoms, to be proactive, get to a, a doctor who takes you seriously, insist on a CT scan, know about the different medications. That antipsychotic drug is one of the drugs that is so contraindicated in these diseases. You see in the uh, support groups on Facebook, there are lots of people promoting snake oil, as we say, Larry, snake oil cures you know, various herbs or supplements or micro doses for things. It's like standing no. on the back of the, of the wagon, if you will, in the right. wild west going, yes, <laughs> I got the magic elixir. <laughs> right. And, and I think because this is a disease that has no treatment, it has no cure that many patients who are looking at the progression, this is a, this is a disease that has an average uh, span of eight years. So some people live four years, some people live 12 years, but the average seems to be eight years. So I understand people are grasping at straws. They're grasping at any possible thing that could help them, but please don't be taking microdoses or snake oil or any of these other things that you're seeing on Facebook. There's also a new drug that is just out for various forms of early onset. It's not appropriate for people who have gotten into the uh, advanced cognitive failure. Uh, it also is not approved for people who have that uh, genetic marker that I have, the APOE epsilon 4. And it's also not for people who are on blood thinners. So this new drug, which I believe is an infusion, it's brand new. It's only been out for a couple of months. And so it purports to offer an increase of 20% in your cognitive time. So not in um, length of the disease, but just in your cognitive time. So maybe that would be another six months or a year, slightly more than that. But the flip side of that is that you have a one in seven chance of 
uh, brain swelling and a one in six chance of brain bleed. So you have to balance this. I've been calling it the Russian roulette drug. What's Would you the, take? Do you know what it is? Uh, what the name of the drug uh, is? I, I do. I don't want to mention it. Because, okay, that's of fine. Course. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. I, I understand. Know, I do know. I do know the name of the drug. Let's just say it's brand new. And it comes with a black box warning. So that's the most severe warning um, by the FDA. So it's a, a, a very, very, you know, dangerous, dangerous drug. Let's say that. I can understand so, why you would call it the Russian roulette drug. Right. So it, if you think about it, one in six, that's one bullet in a, you know, a chamber that holds six rounds. So, you know, people are in these support groups saying, oh, yay, I got into the clinical, I got into approved for, to take the drug. And then uh, there are other people saying, oh, woe is me, I didn't get approved to take the drug. Well, in the past few weeks, I have seen uh, two patients who have been on the drug not very long, and they have had the, the brain bleed. I saw another patient who was on the drug, and he said, you know, the drug has made me worse. So those are just three patients in our little support group uh, sphere who are already reporting a bad outcome. So with respect to medications or snake oil or anything out there, just be prudent about your choices. Sometimes it's better to let a new drug run its course for a little bit and see what's happening in the real world and not necessarily trust the clinical trials, though People did die in the clinical trials. People did have brain bleeds in the, in the clinical trials. Personally, I would not take a one in six or one in seven chance, and, and I'm a risk taker, and I wouldn't take that risk. So I just want people to be aware that there are some medications out there that are not really great, and you need to make good choices. There are a whole classes of drugs that are contraindicated, one of them being the class of the antipsychotics um, that we discussed earlier. Also, the benzodiazepines. There was a woman in one of the support groups this, this week or last week, and she said, oh, my loved one uh, was agitated, and so I gave him one milligram of lorazepam in the morning, and then he started falling and he was dizzy. And does anyone know why that happened? Well, of course, you know why it happened because you gave him a benzodiazepine in the morning. You, you just can't give patients who are already off balance drugs like this in the morning. These drugs are best given at night when people are, are going to bed, but it, there's a whole group of drug classes the antipsychotics, the benzodiazepines, antidopamines, and also anesthesia. People have to be very careful if they're having surgery uh, about anesthesia because it can really have an adverse effect on a, a dementia patient. Even though I don't like to use the word dementia, PCA is still one of the rare dementias. Once you get that diagnosis, um, I like to tell, I don't really like to tell my story, but I will tell my story because it's a very personal story. When I did that research and the more I learned about this disease and how it was going to progress rapidly and how 
I was not going to have the lifespan of my mother or my grandmother, how I was very unlikely to make it to my 70th birthday, I went into a very, very deep depression. And I was traveling alone. I was in a foreign country. I realized that I needed help. I realized I needed a doctor and I needed medication. And I was able to, to get those things. But I needed to work my way through that roller coaster of the five stages of grief. And I had to do it in my own way. I, I couldn't have outside influences telling me what to do. I hid out from my family and friends for about three weeks. I was, I was texting them and saying, oh, my battery's dying or I have bad internet because I just wasn't ready to, to let people in while I was dealing with this. Oh, such a sad and it's a dark and earth. Yeah. It's a dark, it's a dark place. place. It's a dark place and it's really earth shattering to your world. Uh, I was on this bucket list trip and realizing that I, I couldn't go on. I was trying to talk myself into, Oh, well, maybe you can just get to Africa before you have to give up. I mean, I was just, I was just unwilling to accept it. And it was so hard for me. And being part of this podcast was so hard for me because I'm such a private person and I was going to have to let down my drawbridge and let people cross that moat in, into my very, very personal space. And my family and friends said, you can do it, you can do it because you want to help people. And here I am, I did it and I do want to help people, but I also want to say that I, as you can tell, I'm, I'm upbeat, I'm an extrovert. My friends would describe me as strong and brave and resilient and adventurous. And yes, I'm all of those things, but I'm telling you, I had a terrible, terrible time getting from diagnosis to acceptance. And I managed to do it in a matter of weeks. And I did come out of that dark place. And I, and I did come out on the other side. And I, I was in a place of acceptance. And when I uh, came back to the US and I you know, hung out with my friends for a while and then went on to see my family, they had to process it. So I had already processed it. And they were saying to me like, you're smiling, you're happy, you're having fun. And I said, well, what are my choices? What, what are my choices? I don't have another choice. You know, I give myself from time to time, I give myself a one hour pity party. And then I say, okay, one hour, you're done. Suck it up, buttercup. You need to move on. And I'm not going to spend the last time of my life feeling sorry for myself. I'm going to spend that time out there, you know, having fun, doing whatever I still can do, finding some joy in every day. Not every day is great, but the days that are good, I go out and have fun. And I have friends who say, oh, she can't be sick. She's posting things on Facebook and she's having fun. And of course I'm having fun. Would you feel better if I said, oh, I'm in my pajamas and in bed all day? I don't think anybody wants to hear that. So I think attitude, your attitude about the disease and the people that surround you, you have to have positive people around you. You have to eliminate the, the negative Nellies, the energy thieves from your life. 
And in the same vein, you need to find a support group that works for you. Um, it's better if you find a support group that has early onset patients because you're not going to feel comfortable probably, you know, 80-year-olds who are having cognitive failure or memory problems. When I was in the States last year, I went to an early onset group. And again, I'm very private. It's not something that I would normally do. But when I walked into that room and I saw all these people who were my age and they were they had my same cognitive abilities, some were driving, some were not, but it just felt so comfortable to be among similar people. And so find a support group for yourself, find a support group for the caretakers in your life, because the caretakers, they can be a little bit negative. And I see caretakers in these support groups complaining I see caretakers who want to stop uh, their parent from drinking their afternoon martini or smoking their cigarette or trying to, you know, take away whatever joy they have left. To which I respond, are you kidding me? You're trying to take away the, the few things that they have left to make them happy? Just stop that. Uh, just stop. You know, we need to be able to enjoy the rest of our life, of course, in safety and safe surroundings, but we don't need this part of our life to be the point where someone says, oh, you never should have been doing that. You should have quit smoking long ago. You should quit that drinking or quit eating that cake or whatever it is. You know, that that's not the time. Stop micromanaging us. <laughs> right, right. Stop micromanaging us. We don't need that. We just don't need that. And um, I, I think there are a lot of caregivers who are overwhelmed, I understand, because as the disease progresses, we do get to be like the typical dementia patient with the memory, with the cognitive impairment. So I understand, but uh, the caregivers need to understand we can't do anything about it. We, we cannot change this disease. This, this is an horrific disease that we wish we didn't have. And so hearing you complain or seeing you complain in a support group, that just makes us feel worse. There's nothing good about that. And, you know, the, the other thing I would say is if you can get this diagnosis early, then you will be able to do some things on your own bucket list. You know, before you get to the cognitive impairment or before you get to having the agitation that often comes after 3 p.m., or before you get to the point where you really can't travel very well, I see a lot of that. These people are trying to take, take their loved one on a plane when they're like loaded with agitation and having hallucinations. That's just not a great plan. You can, you can do some fun activities without putting them in a situation where it's unfamiliar and they're terrified and they're having a hallucination. You have to accommodate their current situation. And the more you can just roll with this disease, the better off you're gonna be, the better off people around you are gonna be, the more positive you are, the better off you're gonna be. There are some great uh, resources out there in terms of uh, YouTube. There's a posterior 
cortical atrophy lecture series, PCA lecture series. It's produced by Jamie Tallon. She also has a new book out, so I would look into that. And one of my favorites in the PCA lecture series is a doctor out of the UK, Dr. Sebastian Crutch. He explains the disease really well in terms that, of the, that the average person can understand. So again, Larry, we need to be proactive about our illnesses. We have to bring research and bring information to our medical professionals. We should have lists of those medications that we should not take. Maybe you and I can um, collaborate on a list of those dangerous medications. I know there's a, a list out there somewhere and I know there's a YouTube video um, that might be helpful to do. That would probably be a, a good segment for you. And I'd like to thank you for having me on this podcast series. It's been, uh, obviously I hope it's been helpful for other patients. It's just been helpful for me to talk about it, it has uh, been You know good. something, you just hit a nail right on the head. I started this podcast. When I first said I was going to do this, my speech therapist um, and my occupational therapist were like, that's a great idea because you, mm -hmm. you have to use your brain and, you're, and, you're, and I, I went out this and I said, if I can help one person then it's going to be all worthwhile. And I agree. I know, I, you know, you know how much work it is. You know how much work it is to produce these podcasts. And the same friend who said he, he watches me to see uh, if he can see any signs of the illness. He also said to me, so do you take notes? Do you make notes for this? I said, are you kidding me? I have like 25 pages of papers spread all over my bed. You know, I try to put them in order and I try, try not to sound like an idiot when I start these podcasts, but of course I have to be prepared. <laughs> well, well, I will tell you that one of the things that I've always said is I'll speak from my heart. I'll speak from my soul. And, um, I, early on, I tried to edit out a lot of, uh, filler words and things like that and places where I would stumble on word mm -hmm. retrieval or have that mental block that my brain wants to say something my mouth won't spit out. And right. my speech therapist said to me, she goes, you know what? The subject of this is living with Louie. Exactly. And that is living with Louie. And she said, so uh, just be yourself, be authentic, and 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 uh, it'll come off a lot better. And I think she's a hundred percent right with that. I agree, and I I think one of the things that you can hear in my voice is my sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a really tw twisted sense of humor. Uh, it's just part of my personality, and that is another thing that will get you through this: flexibility, familiarity, sense of humor, resilience. You know, if you can't laugh at the things that are happening to you every day, it's going to be a tough road. Humor is going to help you with this, without, with any disease. You know, having a good attitude and having a sense of humor is going to get you through all of the difficult parts of life, but especially this disease. So, you know, in closing, I would say that have a sense of humor you know, enjoy your life, go find, go find some joy and stay away from the negativity. 
Well, thanks I, so much for having me, Larry. Well, I, it's been great having you, and I hope that uh, we can have you again. Uh, I mean, oh, uh, you, um, I'm, <laughs> I totally enjoy um, sharing this podcast with you and, and sharing your story with the listeners because uh, you bring a lot to the table. The um, your whole attitude comes right through and uh, and that's absolutely wonderful thank you and if uh, anyone sends you a message you know i'm happy to help them i'm happy to help anyone in any way i can that's the whole point of doing this series with you is to help other people and i hope we help more than one person i hope we help a hundred people and in closing i do want to say again if you know anyone who is having these very strange symptoms with driving problems, clumsiness, blurred vision, please, please get them to listen to the podcast, get them to a neurologist and get them to insist on a CT scan because knowledge is power. That it is. Well, thank you so much, thank Jack. Thanks, Larry. Have a great day. You too. We'd like to thank you for joining us for this edition of Living with Louie. 